Son Kearney on to his right foot and he cracks it home. Brilliant finish from Harrison Reed. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. And we are back after a bit of a layoff to discuss everything Fulham. And boy, there's been a lot going on to discuss. First things first, we should obviously apologise for our absence recently. A um, little bit unforeseen, but uh, what can you do? But we are back again. So we're going to be talking today about the Liverpool uh, Cup semi-final. We're going to be talking about the Chelsea game in the Premier League. We're going to be covering the women's return to competitive football and the under-21 successes in the Premier League International Cup. We're also going to be talking about a few new contracts and some transfer stories, and we've got some of your questions to answer. So a lot to get through for 11.45 at night. Welcome, Sammy. How are we going? I'm sorry, first and foremost. I'm I'm sorry we've done this to you, uh, thousands and millions of listeners. We let you down over the past however many days, but um, I, I, I'm sorry and I'm happy to be here. And also, check this out. I got an influencer light. I'm officially trash like you guys, committed <laughs> to the bit, you know? Yeah. It's not a very good one, but well done, Sammy. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Dad, how are we going? I'm very well, thanks. Good to be here. Good to be back. Uh, had a good break and... Um, haven't missed anything uh, on 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 watching, but obviously uh, difficult to uh, coordinate things while we're all away doing different things. People being sick and who knows what else. But happy to be back and look forward to uh, talking about everything. Happy birthday, Lola! Happy birthday, Lola! It's my little girl's first birthday today. Happy birthday, Lola! She's not going to listen, so yeah, but fair enough. Um, let's crack straight into it. The first game that we haven't been able to cover is the semi-final in the Carabao Cup. Obviously a very disappointing 2-1 loss, but, you know, it's it's not all gone. Like, we're still in this tie, 2-1 down. Dad, give me your thoughts initially on the game itself. Oh, exciting, wonderful atmosphere. Um, God, we were not only well and truly in it, but we were leading from the front with that goal from Willian. Um, and then I, I think we just got a bit overrun by a fortunate goal um, in, in the second half, followed by a second goal three minutes later. You know, good, good big teams are going to do that to you. And uh, we couldn't respond i think we'd probably uh probably run our race um against a very good team having done really well up until that point disappointing but not the end of the story as it's uh uh part one of two um so we're still in with a chance mm. there yeah. could genuinely be a fairy tale there could be a fairy tale there um uh, i it was awesome to actually see us go uh, 1-0 up for such a considerable amount of time. But objectively, Liverpool's really, really good. So I see it as we were super, super competitive and we're still in it. But, uh, yeah, lots, tons of positives, tons of positives. Yeah, look, I agree. I think we we definitely looked the better side at halftime. I wasn't fully expecting us to go 
in in a semi-final, 1-0 up at halftime, looking as good as we were. But we really did deserve that lead. I think we defended really well. There were a couple of little iffy moments. But, you know, the main thing, I think, is we went forward, we created a chance, and we took that chance. It was a really well-worked goal. Willian did really well. Quick feet. Could have gone down in the box. Could have potentially shot first time. But he actually... And and this is what you get from the experience of someone like Willian in the side, taking that extra touch, creating the space, creating the right angles and slotting it home perfectly. Uh, a really well-worked goal. And like you said, the first goal for Liverpool in the 68th minute, Curtis Jones, huge deflection, which Leno can do mm. absolutely nothing about. A big issue for me, and I'd like to get your feedback on it, I guess. Uh, I'll start with you, Sammy. This is not the first time this season we've seen this Fulham side capitulate in a very short space of time we seem to concede that first goal especially against those sort of top six top eight sides conceded the first goal three minutes later with two one down we've gone from sitting fairly comfortably to you know chasing the game and effectively when you're playing against a team like Liverpool that's game over Mm. um do you think we've got a bit of an issue there where we seem to switch off when we concede I think I think um, like your elite level teams, like uh, your Liverpool's, your Man City's, your Arsenal's, um, and to be honest, even even your Man U's, they're just teams that um, composure and status is their thing. So they can completely rattle teams like us um, if we essentially allow them to. I think we're really really guilty of that. We haven't been for a really really long time. Um, we do have key players. I mean, William is probably the best example, but let's not forget William is a former Champions League player. He's, he was Ch- he was at Chelsea for a really, really long time. So he kind of has that um, steeliness, which is kind of lacking across the board for us. I mean, I think Polina is probably an exception to that. Um, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's always going to be that case until you have like a really um amazing draw of both manager and players like you see at um Aston Villa I think I think I'd be lying and and we all would be if we say that we're completely the full package um I I've been I've been pitching it for a couple of weeks now that we're approaching a really really solid team that is a lot more cohesive but yeah there's still a lot of faults that um uh, big teams can essentially break through. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I echo that. I think that it's probably more a compliment to uh, the class of Liverpool. Honestly, I, I, I know when when things start repeating and we succeed, sorry, we, 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 uh, uh, we concede concede in quick yeah sounded concede it sounded a bit northern didn't it concede um, yourself no um when we concede in quick succession and we do that on a kind of a regular basis it's easy to try and look into that and see if there's some kind of theme but honestly i just think liverpool at anfield they got a 12th man when that crowd is going nuts. And I think it does inspire big teams at home to to kind of hit you. I, I, I didn't think we we were terrible after that first goal. I didn't think we dropped our, our our bundle and we were psychologically beaten. 
I honestly think um, fair play to Liverpool for getting that second goal. It's probably more on us. There was still there was still twenty minutes left in the game, and maybe the bigger issue is that we couldn't get another one to mm. take a point, uh, rather than the um, you know the the. The brilliance, if you like, of Liverpool in 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 piling the pressure on and getting a second. Yeah, look, I, I think we we you know we were kind of unlucky not to score late in the game as well. There are a couple of chances right at the end. I don't know how the ball stayed out of the net. Um, so it, it could have been a different game at the end, going two all into a game at the cottage. You you just never know. But look, we we talk about shades of Juventus and the, that four one win and. I don't think there's anything wrong going into the second leg 2-1 down. Um, we should have the home advantage. I feel like we've proven ourselves against Liverpool a couple of times now this season that we're, we're not a pushover and we can score goals against them. And I think if we get it right defensively, we can keep them out. Um, I think tactically there's a few issues there. Um, we saw the impact that Nunes and Gakpo had coming off the bench. I mean, they were involved in in both of the goals. And I, I think we really need to be able to adapt to that a little quicker. I remember when I was watching the game, I, I think I tweeted or, or at least sent a message maybe saying uh, we really need to see um, some changes. And, and that was at about the 60th minute. I was thinking to myself, if we bring on Harry Wilson here, um, we, we're going to score a second goal. Uh, one nil up, we, we had a couple of chances that we just slightly blew and made maybe the wrong decisions on. Um and I think if we'd made those changes a little earlier, we could have even killed the game off and been 2-0 up. Mm. Liverpool maybe come back and score a goal, but we go in with that one goal advantage. Unfortunately, we didn't make those changes in time and it, it cost us. So I'm hoping we learn lessons from that and go into the second leg, maybe with a slightly different game plan to take on Liverpool. And look, at the end of the day, and I think it's it's what we saw in the European run, we've got nothing to lose now. It's not a league game where taking a point away is a decent result. This is a game now where we have to win by two clear goals to go through, or at least win by a clear goal to get to extra time. So Look. there's there's nothing to lose. And it takes a lot of pressure off the players when you're in a position like that, where you, you have that freedom to go, if we make a mistake, that's fine. We can just keep attacking and keep pushing and keep trying to score. And it puts a lot of pressure on the opposition. Let's not forget, we've also, in the last you know couple of weeks, had a make makeshift back four with Bassey, a very very informed Bassey, out of the out of the side, and he he he's got an interesting effect. It's not purely his defensive work; he's he's combative, and so he actually he creates um, a lot of pressure back on the midfield. Just the way in which he goes about it, and I think you know Diop is a I, I sort of regard Diop as a regulation. Um, centre back, plus he's on his wrong side. It's it's not ideal. It's it's not dissimilar to you know, the beginning of the season where we had Bassi playing on the right. Um, I, I'm not making excuses here. They didn't have Salah, and he's obviously uh, you know a very very dangerous dangerous uh, player. But if you're looking for possible reasons rather than excuses as to why defensively we probably looked a little fractious from time to time and similarly in the Chelsea game. Uh, maybe maybe that's fair reason. 
Yeah, I want I want to like to highlight as well. I don't actually think we played terribly. I think I think it was a really really tall ask of us. And I actually I'm actually really overall happy with the way in which we performed. Like I mean, it, I would love a 3-0 at Anfield, but realistically speaking, that is a lot to ask of um this team especially without Bassi and Awobi. Would have been amazing. Would have been amazing. But you know what? Two one at Anfield, going into um, a game at the cottage, it's. I mean, it's it's poised for something wonderful, but it's all just wait and see, you know. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone's saying we played badly. I think it's just disappointing not to come away with with you know at least a draw from this game. But we move on and um, hopefully we move up from there as well. Let's look at the next game Fulham played. Uh, uh, Southwest London derby taking on Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, look, again, this is another game where we played, I thought, really well. It was a bit scrappy first half, but you'd have to say that these were two teams fairly evenly matched at the end of the day. Um, I know Cole Palmer had a very good game. Raheem Sterling did a couple of good things, but this game was really decided by one moment, and you call it a moment of madness, if you will, Diop diving in, fouling Raheem Sterling deep into injury time in the first half as well, which is even more frustrating. And you'd think that it would be made very clear before the game, do not dive in on a player like Raheem Sterling. He's got quick <laughs> feet. He knows how to go down in the box. And um, an interesting stat I saw, Diop has given away more penalties than any other Fulham player Um in the in the Premier League, he's now given away four penalties, which is kind of crazy considering it's in two seasons and he's ahead of blokes like Breda Hangeland, do Aaron Hughes, those guys who played, you know, six seven years for the club, and, and he's already given away four penalties. In it's actually a season and a half. Um, do you think Issa Diop's got a bit of an issue there diving in, especially around the box? Well, it's a composure thing, isn't it? Really, when you're under serious pressure. It's not your ability to defend in so-called open play, but it's how you handle the serious pressure. Um, yeah, I mean, when I when I think back, I, I I do see that face of Diop where his head is slightly hung, knowing that he's just had a brain fade. I see that in my head a few times, and um, yeah, I think I think there there is an issue there. Yeah, happens happens far too often for my liking, personally at least. I just feel like, um, you know, again, Diop's not even like a regular starter most of the time. We've mm. seen Tosin and Ream with the starting centre backs. Um, now it's Bassi and Bassi and Tosin who've been the sort of starters. Diop hasn't played that many games for Fulham yet in the league, and he, he's giving away penalties left, right, and centre. It's surely something that we have to address at some point especially with Tosin leaving at the end of the season, do we feel like Diop is a good enough player to play alongside Bassi going forward? Oh. Sammy? Yeah. Um, look, I think I think long-term we probably will have to explore other options because, I mean, in any case, he's, he's not exactly a spring chicken. He is getting on. I always kind of um, rate Diop a little bit more on his passing ability. I think his passing is really, really clean and... Um, 
Um, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a couple games last season. He just had a ridiculous passing conversion rate. Um, that I'm I'm actually quite shocked by um, that uh, statistic. Like, I I guess it does make sense, but he's I think he's really kept that one under the radar. I think you could probably even argue that um, a lot of them have been uh, relatively unlucky. I mean, Sterling's one is bullshit in my opinion. Uh, I'd have to see the other ones to really compare, like for how reckless they are, because I don't really think of him as a reckless player. Um, no, he's not. But... He's not reckless. He's, he can be clumsy. I think he's yeah, kind of clumsy plays. rather than reckless. He, yeah. He's not diving in like incredibly hard at players. I don't think he's yeah. he's just sticking his leg out when he really doesn't need to be sticking his leg out. It's more that kind of uh, yeah, brain fades more than anything. Like. Raheem Sterling is is a player you stand up to, not one mm. you dive into, especially in the box and especially where he was as well. You know, coming along the byline, you don't need to make a challenge there, really. You mm. you stand him up and block his shot on goal and and uh, make him force an error effectively. It just it just feels like something that we you know when you're a team like Fulham and you're trying to battle for survival every season, you can't be giving away. You can't have a defender in your team in Diop who is giving away a penalty every sort of ten games that he plays. It's yeah, it's, it's just uh, you just can't you can't get away with it. it. It's too much of a liability for me at least. And I think unless he starts to somehow fix that going forward, so he's played thirty five games, so he gives away a penalty every like eight games he plays, which is just in insanity. Mm. I do I do think um Silver's done an amazing job with him. I mean, we credit Silver about this mm. kind of stuff all the time. But um from memory, he was kind of brought in as a bit of a placeholder situation and just massively overperformed uh alongside um uh Reem because we needed we needed depth in the back line because it was literally just uh Reem and Tosin and that was it. So he was kind of brought in, and then he just seemed to work really, really well with Diop. That's my memory of the situation. Um, but I don't, I don't think he's ever really been considered a fully long-term option. And West Ham did uh, pass among to us with uh, very little Quite pushback. Happily. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, he's, I, he's he's got almost 150 Premier League appearances now. So mm-hmm. I, I I think he's more of a rotation option than a backup. But mm. I, I just feel like if if you're going to be giving away that many penalties and, and making that many clumsy errors, and it's not just that there were he's had a couple of clumsy mistakes as well in the past, which I know Dad you've you've made mention of and kind of put some focus on. I, I just feel like if we're losing Tosin and Ream is getting to that point in his career where he is purely a backup option. Diop and Bassi don't really seem like a good enough pairing for me. Bassi definitely does and seems like he's going to keep growing, but I feel like that is going to be a, a real issue for us next season if we don't look at bringing in a really high-quality defender. I forget very forget not. Yeah, no, forget you... not that, that we, we've actually had a pretty unlucky run with our defenders this season. Yeah, um, yeah. Tete's been injured for either. I mean, Castagna's done a wonderful job, but uh, um, Tete firing on all four cylinders is always going to be preferred. You know, he's, he's he's a very, very good player when he's at the top of his game. And Especially he's done really well. Re- yeah. yeah, he's done really well for us. 
Um, and, you know, so Tosin was injured for a long time. Diop did, did kind of, uh, no, Diop was injured for a very, very long time with that very strange foot injury. Uh, we had Bassey playing out of position, um, Ream in and out. So it's it's been far from uh, ideal. And I, I would say that Diop simply wouldn't be a first choice right now. He'd mm. be he'd be perfectly happy with him off the bench, or even on a rotational basis, where you you could you could you know you swap him in in a low risk situation, uh, game wise, um, and maybe you'd get away with that. But I think we've had to rely on him um, pretty heavily, uh, and and also players playing out of position. It's been really really quite difficult. Are but we, to we your question, to just mm. a second, Sam, to your question, not your statement, Jack, if, if Tosin's going, and Tosin's been pretty good uh, the last few weeks, but if Tosin's going and, you know, Reem is going into decline, I'm uncomfortable about Diop being our preferred centre-back on the right. Yeah, yep, so, I agree. So, so my question is: Is um, Tosin one hundred percent confirmed buggering off? I know, I know, Monaco's interested in him, but I thought his biggest issue was game time, and he's kind of in. No. He's, he's preferred, isn't he? Or is he? Is it just no? Like, he it's it's not game time. It's from what I've read, and admittedly, this is all hearsay. But um, Fulham have made multiple offers of new contracts to him. He's getting his game time. He's been offered a new contract recently as well, but he's made it very clear that he wants to leave um for in his mind at least he's ready to take the next step what that next step is i guess is playing regular european football um if that's in the premier league then so be it. i'm not sure if there's many premier league teams interested in him i know tottenham at one point were interested um but he's he's had links with teams in france he's had links with teams elsewhere as well so i i, I can't imagine that he'll stay it seems like he's made up his mind and and he's ready to leave Fulham, which is is fine if you want to do that as a player. I get that, but um, it, it just leaves us in a position now where we do need to look at other options for defenders. Um, guys, the other point I want to talk about in this game is the non-decision of, of giving a red card to Gaucho. Um, for me, at least, pretty obvious that this was a clear red. Um, Gaucho comes in over the ball hits Willian uh, high up the the ankle, uh, sort of just below where the shin pad is. Um, referee instantly gives a yellow card. VAR, look at it, and don't overturn the decision. Your, your guys' thoughts on that? Dad, I'll start with you. Oh, I've got such a lot to say on this. Um, and uh, you're all, Keep it all of your ears, all of your ears have been spared by the fact that I was muscled in... Uh, out of town and not able to talk about it because I'd probably bore you all to death. But um, look, how how can that not be a clear and obvious error? Uh, there have been so many comparisons drawn to a previous incident, which was almost identical, where he did get a receive a yellow card and rightfully so as well. Um, you, you it, it's, it's it's simply a red studs up. Above the boot, it's not on the top of his foot. It's it's on on the bottom of his ankle. He's lucky not to have sustained a very nasty injury. Um, 
I, I've I've just got so many problems with all of this uh, VAR. I think to me it starts with I, I, I'm sort of sick and tired of complaining about VAR, but it's such an imperfect system and so unlikely to change. It's depressing, you know. Why can't we please have VAR and the referee mic'd up? Let's hear what you're chatting about, boys. Let's hear. Let's hear it. Let's hear why that's not clear and obvious error. Let's hear why that uh, was not a red card. Uh, maybe people would feel slightly happier. Maybe we'd be more incensed. Um, but it's not okay to... It, it's clearly... It's so problematic that I, 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 I don't want to go down the path of cheating and corruption, but it's, it's, it's more this overly defensive vibe that we've now got where referees are so under siege in the Premier League for just being inconsistently not good enough. Um, and VAR, because they're on, from the same camp, protecting the same brand, are so reluctant to draw attention to a howling decision, which obviously will be picked up in the media and on it goes. So they do nothing. And um, it, it's it's just simply not independent enough. If this was in a corporate environment, it would be like having your, you know, internal audit committee, the accountant sitting next to, uh, you know, the CFO. It's you, just dumb. You, you literally you literally stole exactly the point I was going to make because it really, for me at least, reeks of... Um, a shitty solution drawn up from a shitty said um, um, spreadsheet from somebody who's just desperately trying to keep their job, but it just has um, a bollocks take on it. Like I understand the point of VAI. It, it, in theory, in every theory, it should work, but the human element is the thing that's just fucking it up, and it's just so frustrating because, in my opinion, that is a, that is a clear red. The fact that it um, hasn't been followed up on is just such a massive, massive flaw. And I I, I can kind of, um, not that I agree with it, but I can kind of understand referees wanting to take back the game and um, uh, wanting their final decision to be the final decision. And if they don't feel that it um, needs to be checked, then that should be the be all and end all. But um, I really echo just the idea of like miking it up because there's so much frustration just um, about these private conversations which seemingly make no sense uh and it it just it just fluctuates from game to game to game and it's it's just it it's seemingly bizarre and I'm not sure if you guys can see um something in it that I can't but it it just it just reeks of a very well executed poor decision well, it's it's where the issue lies is is around the we're just not getting a consistency of decision. The, this this challenge, if we just look at this incident, this one incident where Gaucho comes over the ball, hits him on the ankle, and we've seen that multiple times this season. We've seen it overturned from a yellow card into a red card. There shouldn't be any issue with a human making that decision because we've seen it made multiple times already this season. The yeah. problem is why wasn't it made in this game? And it, it actually it comes down to the individual rather than saying it's an issue 
issue with um, just VAR in general, this referee has made a poor decision by not overturning it based on the precedent of other incidents during the season where it has been overturned. That's where the issue really lies, is we're just not seeing consistency from VAR decisions, where offside is, is simple. It's a straight line. You're either off or you're on. These fouls, if you hit someone above the, let's say, above the laces or above the tongue of the boot, it should be should basically be a red card based on what we've seen mm. so far this season. And therefore, mm. this tackle should have been classed as a red card. The, the fact that it wasn't is just, it's shocking. Uh, it's a terrible decision from VAR. And look, we, we can't say for sure what would have happened for the rest of the game, but I think we were well in this game. If Chelsea had gone down to 10 men, we, we probably, we don't run away with the game, but I think Chelsea sit on the back foot far more, don't push forward anywhere near as much. We create more chances and we were creating some good chances as well. And, and maybe we get something out of this game. Unfortunately, that one decision has completely ruined the game for Fulham here. And mm. um, it, that's where it's disappointing is just a lack of consistency. And we say it all the time, we just want consistent decisions. If, if that was always given as a red card when a tackle like that happens, you'd be fine with VAR overturning it, even if it was against you, because you'd go, it's a bad tackle and that's the precedent that's set, that's the rules. But it, it just seems to change all the time. The, the goalposts change, and that's the frustration behind it, it, all the rants people have. I, I don't understand why the public, the football public and the journalists who've, you know, got, got their vehicles to make a lot of noise, why people don't get the fact that it's a joke system because it's simply not independent enough. If you're asking someone to audit a referee, how can they both VAR and the on-field referees have the same line manager? And yeah. the more times during the the season <clears throat> that these that that VARs actually call to overturn poor on-field decisions, and and I want to make the point that I, I'm going to cut um, the ref some slack that in the moment you know he sees an infringement, but let's say he didn't actually. Uh, wasn't in the right position, or, except I think he saw it pretty clearly. But that's fine. It's it's down to VAR to overturn it. And the more times that VAR ends up overturning it, the more focus there is on poor on-field decision-making and the less likely they are to so-called drop their mates in it. Um, it it's just a terrible system. And it's just it, it, it it's kind of system you put in place where you want to control it and act in a kind of corrupt way. I don't want to call it corruption, but that's what you do if you want to be corrupt. I don't want to call it corruption, but it is corruption. The, the, the only, the only, the only thing I, um, I, because uh, I kind of disagree. I don't think VARs are a bad thing, and I think auditing refs is actually. I agree. Good I agree. In theory. Um, my 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 issue is why is a shit referee being audited by an equally shit referee? Like it's um, uh, either you get you get something that completely removes the human element to audit, or you just don't necessarily have the system in the first place. Like things like goal well, line technology. I'm not saying you can't you, you can't that do that though, Sam. You can't audit someone by the whole point is you have to make human decisions. For stuff like this, you can't have that audited by an AI because the whole point is it's it's subjective. The thing that needs to happen is you need to have a panel of people 
who uh, you know have no pressure on them to be able to look at it and make a decision and go did this no, referee make the right decision in in the moment or did they make the wrong decision VAR uh, and it actually needs to, to be a panel yeah, VAR should have should have no skin in the game at yeah. all yeah right uh, and can i make another point as well this ref is a very contentious ref he is you, you remember that there was a big blue back in November. Uh, I think it was a Chelsea Man City game where um, he made some terrible errors. I can't remember what they were in detail. And he got he got actually demoted to the championship. And um, I, I think, I know Chelsea were kind of anxious and up in arms with him being allocated to this Chelsea-Fulham game. And you, you have to wonder uh, what pressure that creates on the ref to actually not do anything in his in his mind kind of daft or stupid the, against Chelsea. The only issue there that I'd say is I don't think you'll find a referee that is qualified and eligible for refereeing in the Premier League who one club does not hate when they're assigned to to that game. And I see it all the time on Twitter before the games. There's always a bunch of accounts that look at the referee and their performance um, f when they've refereed Fulham games. And it's it's almost never positive. And I, I think it, both clubs would look at it in the same way. I think it's it's such a tough one. Like, I, I just don't think there's a, there's a way around it. We just need to cross our fingers that, the level of refereeing improves because that's the only way that it will get fixed is if the referees get better. And that's, that's not something that clubs can control. That's something that the um, PGMOL or whatever it's called, they need to actually fix up. Uh, so we can't keep talking about this. So we've got to keep okay. moving on. All right. okay. um, um, one thing that I wanted to say, and I've almost forgotten Oh, before we do move on from that though, is if, with, if there was VAR in the Liverpool game and there wasn't because Middlesbrough weren't able to put it in in the other semi-final, we would have lost that game by far more. There's a handball mm. by Bobby Reed in the box. There was a couple of dodgy tackles there that we probably should have got cards for. Um, and, and so if I look at it that way and say we got a little bit lucky, we probably could have lost 3-4-1 to Liverpool in that game because VAR yeah. wasn't there. You do have to look at VAR and go, it does actually pick up a lot of little things that get missed in the game. And if you really want to play the game by the rules, which I think you should, VAR should be there. We just need to clean up all the little errors that VAR is mean, constantly throwing up for us. I think we're all hugely uh, in, in favour of a, a good VAR. It's just, I think there are subjective human problems with it. No, there are human problems with it. And I think, um, you know, that that's the biggest issue. Yeah. Anyway, look, let's keep on. moving. Let's uh, move on now to well, we'll look at the next games for Fulham coming up. We've got um, obviously the the big one, which is the game against Liverpool. That's on the twenty first, I believe. It might be the twenty second. I'm getting thrown out by my time zones here. But the game back at Craven Cottage under lights. Dad and Sam, your thoughts on this game? Like we sort of said before, there's nothing to lose. Short answer: Do you think Fulham can come away with a one goal, potentially even a two goal victory, or do you think we are going to be aiming to take it to extra time and and sneak through on penalties? 
Uh, definitely possible. If that is is that a is that an okay way to answer it? Definitely, definitely possible. Definitely possible. It's, it's two in, words. It's in, neither of them are yes or no. It wasn't a one word I needed, but I like that. No, definitely in, possible. Entirely, entirely possible is what I really meant. What what I think is interesting, you know, a lot of people whinge about the fact that Craven Cottage, we're good at home, but it's it's hardly a threatening environment. But what what you've got when you play against a big club at home is that if you, you they lose their home advantage, which is a serious advantage for them. That's if we don't sell them home, tickets in the home end, which has happened yeah, fairly regularly. Yeah. Uh, Sammy, look, I want to. I want. I want to be. I want to believe. Um, and look, I'm like we we we're, we're here to um, uh, give people a nice break from the mundanity and the stress of life. So I want to believe in my team. I do, I do uh, it's it's a it's a lot. Of course it can happen. 100% it can happen. If it's going to happen anywhere, it is going to happen in the cottage because I was never expecting it to happen at Anfield. Um I mean in true Marco Silva fashion, I have no idea how he will do it, but if anyone can do it, it's probably Marco <laughs> Silva. Yeah, look, I I'm kind of with you there. I believe that we have a chance of winning this one. I I think with that sort of lack of pressure on this game, going into a second leg with nothing to lose, I, I think that actually works in our favour. We seem to be a team when, where we have nothing to lose. We seem to play really well. We've seen it in the last couple of years. You know, look at the game against Arsenal. We We kind of go into that game with nothing to lose, where you're playing one of the best teams in the league and you just play your natural game and kind of enjoy it a little bit. I think we can take, go out there and actually get a win against this this Liverpool team, even though it's a very strong team. The game does actually take place on the night of the 24th of January. It's a 8 p.m. kickoff at the Cottage. Sammy? It just reeks of, like, something random. Like You know how, like, like um, uh, every now and then Silver will just drop a lineup and you'll think, what are you doing? And then he'll just come away with a result that you just never expected. Like, it reeks of, like... Sasalukic scoring two goals just randomly, just because uh, Silva's just gone like a bit mental, but he's just picked the right thing for it. But I, I just can never foresee that happening. So, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't. I'd love to see like a Luke Harris or a, someone from the under twenty ones, like a uh, Tyrell Works or yeah, Dibley um, Diaz coming in, just yeah, Mc, McFarlane or someone coming off the bench because we're just. Chucking attacking options forward and uh, scores the goal that makes him a, a Fulham hero. Um, yeah, look, it's 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 a tough game for Fulham, and um, fingers crossed we can come out of it with a uh, a victory. Um, let's move forward. We're going to talk about the Fulham women's team now. They've returned to action. Um, uh, they had a, a good winter break. Came back at the start of the break with a game against um, Aylesford in the league. We did have a cup game against Dulwich Reserves the week before, which we won 3-2, a really good result with a a mix of first-team players and some of the youth players as well. Uh, This was our our first game in the league since the break. And look, a really solid 3-1 victory. Uh, Goals here from Georgia Heisman in the seventh minute. Uh, Congratulations, Georgia, on becoming an auntie as well. We saw the celebration pictures on the uh, Twitter um, Maddie Parsonson in the 22nd minute, Edie Bushell straight after half time to make it 3 0. Uh, Aylesford did come back and score a consolation goal in the 55th minute, but 
Fulham held out really well, and Fulham now sit beautifully on top of the league. 14 games played, 33 points. Below us, we have Dulwich Hamlet on 13 games played with 31 points, and Dartford, 12 games played, 31 points as well. Uh, A big result in a game between Dartford and Dulwich, where Dulwich beat Dartford, giving Dartford their first loss of the season. Dartford were unbeaten with 10 wins and a draw from their 11 games. So that result actually helped Fulham stay on top of the league. Um, Look, guys, there's a long way to go, but this Fulham team have a pretty pretty good run in towards the end of the season. And looking forward, um, I can see that the season's going to end with a massive game uh, which you know could effectively be a playoff final for us. Fulham will be playing at home to Dartford on the seventh uh, of April. How do you see this one panning out at the moment? There's uh, what have we got? Two, four, six, seven games left in the league season. Do you feel like Fulham are in a good position here to take take it home, even though the teams below us have games in hand? Um, how are we feeling now that we're back? We've got a win under our belt. Do you think? sitting on top of the league will actually have us sitting in a good position or do you think now the pressure is going to be applied onto us? I I think um, this is precisely what you would have been dreaming of because you you, you wanted the, the, the card deck to be shuffled. You want to get your nose in front, the dynamic to change. Now we're leading the pack and everyone else can't afford to make a mistake. I know they've got games in hand, but we've actually got a relatively easy run in. So un- un- unless we have, you know, something really unforeseen happens, lots of injuries or something terrible, we should be pretty comfortable and, and we have a much more predictable run in. Um, and I think that creates a lot of pressure and we're going to find out whether these teams kind of have what it takes to overhaul us obviously we've got to keep our nerve as well and that's going to be a massive game the last game of the season but i i, I like this I, I i like the position we've got ourselves into it's almost that sort of situation where it's a 400 meter race and you've got some young kid on the outside lane in the eighth lane and he takes off he's miles ahead but of course he's miles ahead because he got a, an advantage at the start but he looks around and thinks, oh, I can do this. And he sprints off and just burns everyone off. And they can't catch him because he's got his nose in front and he's actually a front runner. And you mm-hmm. want to hope that, you know, we this happens, that uh, we, we push on harder and just ramp up the pressure on Dulwich and, uh, and Dartford. Fulham would be really dumb not to stream this game on YouTube because I mean it's it's just it's just poised for like decent amount of interest at least I think anyway. Um, uh, I I think well, I think momentum is such an interesting powerful thing. Um, uh, I think the girls have actually done amazing to sustain um, um, what they built on really really early this season. Um, I think it's so impressive when teams can just at this stage of the season um, uh, edge their way to like the top of the pack quite convincingly, even though there are games in hand. Um, uh, I'm not necessarily saying it's like ours for the taking uh, because I don't think that's true, but I do think um, 
the girls have an energy the girls have a um a commitment i mean we've seen it um in the amount of games that they've come back from uh one nil two nil and actually edged out the result they um uh, they're so tenacious and um uh, re really inspire a lot of pride i think i'm so I'm, I'm genuinely really really proud of them i think they've done amazing this season and um i I, tr I truly believe that they can go all the way. I just want to see it now, you know? Yeah, look, there's some big games coming up. Uh, on the 28th, Dulwich play Ebbsfleet. Now, Ebbsfleet um, sit four games adrift of us, and they're 11 points behind us. So, I mean, if Ebbsfleet won all of those games, they're kind of in the race as well. Um, they will definitely – they gave us a good game earlier in the season. They'll definitely give Dulwich a good game. We kind of want to see Ebbsfleet – maybe get a draw with Dulwich there, maybe even get a win there. Dartford do have a, a similarly... I don't want to call any of these run-ins easy because we've seen teams down the bottom of the league upset teams further up, but um, they, they have a, a similar run-in to Fulham. The big game, obviously, is the game against Fulham on the final day. That's, I mean, like you said, it's going to be one that I definitely want to see live-streamed by by the club. Hopefully, we we do manage to get that done. Um, even maybe uh, might be a bit of an ask, but to actually see that game at Craven Cottage where, you know, it's two massive teams in the league playing against each other um, for a spot for promotion, how great would it be to to pack out another couple of thousand fans? We saw what it did for the game against Arsenal and how it pushed the team on more so than we've seen all season. Imagine doing that in a game where winning it actually means promotion finally the thing we've been chasing for so many years now so it's it's a massive run in for both teams we're going to be covering it closely and following along for the rest of the season um but it, it's just great personally for me to see these girls bounce back straight away after what's been you know pretty close to a month of no football um yeah. getting back into training getting back into that mindset of winning every single game See Georgia score a goal seven minutes in, uh, seeing Maddie get back on the score sheet. Edie, you know, had a layoff towards the end of the, the year through a concussion. She missed quite a few of the games. So to see her back in and actually getting goals straight away is is great to see. And um, a couple of um, really good performances, I think, from, from this team. And it, it's great to see that you know, even after such a long way through this season and and what is turning into a bit of a slog of a season and a, a season where we're really chasing down uh, promotion, e even to see a, a kind of special moment there where um, we had Prudy Todd Warmoth making her um, uh, her league debut and coming out with, with player of the match, um, playing in defence, made a goal line clearance towards the end of the game. Um, really good to see that Fulham are, are still growing and trying new things and uh, everyone is stepping up. We have new players coming into the team and, and making an impact straight away. I think it's um, it's really positive and I'm looking forward to watching this season pan out from here. Um, let's move forward and talk about the under-21s now. Um, they've had a couple of games, the youth teams. Um, unfortunately, we had the under-18s game cancelled over the last couple of days. They were playing in the uh, FA Youth Cup Game was called off at halftime due to a frozen pitch against Swansea. Disappointing, but uh, at the same time at Motspur Park, Fulham under-21s played against Monaco under-21s in the Premier League International Cup. Fulham came away with a 2-1 victory. Adrian Pagiziti and Christian Sek 
Kularik. Tough names for me to say this late at it's night. A good pronunciation. Um, yeah, nice yeah I just stumbled a fraction towards the end there, but I got through. Um, look, a couple of a uh, couple of goals there, and a really good result against a Monaco team. Um, and and look, this puts Fulham in a really good position, actually winning the uh, the group in the Premier League International Cup, coming through Group C as winners. Um, guys, this is such an impressive group. Uh, how important do you think it is for for these players to actually make it through to the next round in what is effectively a, a European trophy? To actually give them that experience playing against other sides from the rest of Europe. Tough question, was it? I was certain you were going to go there, Sam. I was certain you were going to have such a lot to say. Uh, what wonderful opportunity, isn't it? And as we were saying before we went live, um, we're, we're missing so many big players, but potentially yeah. so are other clubs. I mean, we've got yeah. players out on loan and they're very, very good quality players. But I've no doubt that the better clubs have also got their under-21s out playing um, in, you know, senior football elsewhere. So I, I, I'm, I've no doubt that those competitions at the top end are always, um, you know, a, a little bit of that flavour. But... How wonderful to be 17, 18, 19 and uh, playing against some of these big clubs in, in Europe. Um, great great place to showcase your talents. Uh, please don't leave. Um, and uh, But, you know, uh, good luck good luck to them. And uh, I, I noticed that there were a, um, a couple of signings as well. Is uh, it? Was it King yeah, that um, So we had Josh King, uh, Bradley De Jesus, De Jesus probably, and uh, Ollie Gofford Jesus. all signing their first professional contracts with the club. Um, I, I mean, uh, these how, guys how have all been performing. Jack, how old is King? I, I believe, well, to sign a pro contract, I'm pretty sure you have to be 17, so he must have just turned yeah. 17. Yeah. Um, he, he looks fantastic. But, you know. Josh King is is a serious player. He's played um, under 18s for a while now. Uh, he's been making appearances with the under 21s uh, in his uh, debut for the under 21s in the Premier League Cup. Uh, he scored. Um, he's on his score sheet again, scoring a couple of goals in the under 18s, winning the Youth Cup third round. Uh, you know he he looks a serious talent. He's he's making his mark internationally as well with the. Um, with the England under, I think he's played under England under 17s, but he's one who's been, you know, touted as one of the best players to come through the Fulham Academy ever. And when you look at players like Harvey Elliott, Carvalho, Sessegnon, um, these guys have come through the Academy in the last few years to, to have that touted uh, on, on your head is, is saying a lot. And he is a very skillful central midfielder, Likes to push forward and score goals. He's got quick feet, good passing, good finishing. He, he looks like the full package. And I, I see a lot of um, Carvalho in him um, and, and quite a bit of Harvey Elliott as well. So I, I, I can totally imagine that by the end of the season, we'll see him on the bench, especially mm. if we're already safe. I'd love to see him come on and make his debut as, as a young kid. I think showing him that there's a pathway forward for his future because I, I think the, the whole issue at the moment is you look at someone like Luke Harris who is getting picked for the Wales national team 
can barely get off the bench for Fulham at the moment. And so I'd be wanting to show these guys that there is a pathway forward to the first team. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Ollie Gofford is one of the others. He's been at the club since since he was eight years old. Um, he, he's also playing for the under-21s at the moment. He's a, a dynamic midfielder. And Bradley De Jesus, thank you, um, has been playing with the under-21s, even though he's a, an 18. Uh, he's only just 17. Um, he's uh, been caught up for the Portugal under-17s team and, um, you know, looks like a, a really good uh, attacking wing-back. So great for, for someone like him to be learning from blokes like Kenny Tete and Timothy Castagna in the side. Um, so really positive, positive stuff to see those three signing um, professional deals, their first professional deals for the club. And hopefully it leads to them, you know, taking the next step and, and coming on and impressing for the first team. Um, guys, we've, we're coming towards the end, but, uh, we've actually had a couple of questions come in for the podcast that I'd like to sort of cover off and let's start with, uh, the first one. Uh, and this one is from James Doughton on Twitter. Uh, the question is, why have we not made a transfer yet? It's not like we didn't know that the squad is bare bones. Um, Dad and Sam, well, I, I guess, in fact, let me just start by saying that the there's obviously FFP issues floating around at the moment. Seems like Fulham and, and a lot of clubs were keeping their noses clean until the accounts definitely got finalised and everyone got the tick of approval. Um, that's happened in the last couple of days and there's been a flurry of activity since. But I, I guess talking on this question, it's worth noting as well that Nottingham Forest and Everton have both been charged, meaning they could both be docked a further 10 points. Do you guys think uh, Fulham had cold feet a little bit and maybe stayed out of making any transfers until we knew we were definitely cleared, knowing that the Premier League is just handing out points, deductions like uh, like like biscuits? Uh, I, think, I think Tony Carr would love to have that cover, yeah. uh, to be flying under that radar. And yeah. uh, he'd probably go, yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly uh, no. That's just how yeah. he does business. He's stingy, and uh, I think he would just spend the least amount of money to stay in the Premier League as possible. Um, yeah. So, I look. It's 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 not the end of the window yet, but I'm very surprised that we don't see fit to be making some signings. We we need some players. You could argue that now's not the time to do it. Um, I'm, I'm delighted that Raul Jimenez has finally turned a corner. But, geez, it's high stakes to actually ask him to kind of do this on his own. He, he doesn't have a Premier League backup or rotational partner in Vinny or um, Munez. I don't think I'm being unfair. I just think that's true. No. And I think that's just poor business um, to take such a high risk on, you know, Jimenez scoring, what, 10 more goals? Yeah. Uh, for look, the rest of the season? That's high risk, man. Yeah, look, I don't I don't actually think it's um, mean or um, misguided to say that uh, this isn't necessarily Tony's forte. I think he's been lucky. Um, I hate his conservative strategy to wait till the end of the window and 
um, cross the I's and dot the T's absolutely perfectly um, because you just miss opportunities. We've been needing a striker even before Mitrovic uh, left because we knew it was inevitably going to happen. And um, it's been really poor foresight. Uh, I... I, I, I have no excuses. <laughs> I have no excuses for um, uh, the matter. I think it's it's just not necessarily um, the most savvy. I understand the logic behind not wanting to um, buy um, mid-season because everyone has an inflated price. And then as a result, you can just wind up with deals that you don't want to do. But why we haven't been proactive about it is something I can't really explain and i feel that any attempt of explaining is being far too generous well i will make that attempt i i genuinely think teams were not worried about ffp up until everton had that point deduction we've seen every team tread the line very closely and we've seen chelsea man united just not man united man city just completely ignore the line and, and step miles over it the fact is, everyone originally thought it would be a slap on the wrist, maybe a fine. Now we've seen Everton docked 10 points. We're likely to see them docked a further 10 points and Forrest docked another 10 points as well. I think a lot of clubs got a little bit nervous that maybe their calculations weren't 100% perfect. And I, I genuinely believe that that scared the life out of every club. But there, there are no transfers happening at the moment, and we're almost three weeks into the transfer window. Usually in January, there would be oh, maybe 40 transfers made by now, and we've seen maybe three, and most of them are on freeze and on loans where there's no financial outlay. I, I feel like clubs have been spooked, and now that uh, the FFP stuff has been sort of finalised for the period... I expect we're going to see a flurry of activity. And we've seen it. Fulham were very quiet with being linked with anyone apart from free transfers. Just in the last 24 hours or so, Fulham have started being linked with multiple players. The Andre deal was apparently off, even though that was a done deal. All of a sudden, in the last couple of hours, it's been said that the deal's back on for Andre because we obviously realise we have some money to spend. So I, I genuinely think, I, I agree, Tony Khan, useless at transfers, but I think there's a little bit more to this where we are being a little bit careful and making sure we don't get a point deduction because this is a season where I don't think we can afford to lose 10 points. If we lose 10 points, we, we're actually in the relegation zone at this stage. Um, and you look at Everton losing 20 points for the season and Forrest losing 10, and then the other teams being just terrible anyway, we're basically safe if we don't get a 10-point deduction. So it's it's really smart for us not to waste any money. And, you know, in those closing days of the window, if you accidentally didn't quite work out your numbers properly, you signed a player for £15 million and went slightly over your FFP allowance and got docked 10 points because of it, that, that's, that ruins the club. So I, I think there's a bit of bit of smarts there in in just holding tight and doing a bit of business once you know that you're definitely safe from it. When is someone going to stand up with a very big voice? Someone who counts going to stand up with a really big voice and just call out the bogus bullshit that is FFP? It's it's clearly <laughs> it's 
such a bullshit scam to try and protect the incumbents at the top and stop them from being assailed by by lowly well, clubs in, in that saying that you know the the amortization no, of nonsense. player transfers that's that's been scrapped because chelsea were giving out eight nine year contracts to players to spread the cost over that amount of time they've now put a limit on that to stop teams from doing that so you know it's it's actually being monitored more closely than it was the problem is it got brought in and they they weren't monitoring it closely and and they hadn't really thought it through properly and people that's were just what, skipping that's around not what the I'm saying. It. Yeah, honestly, honestly, if I'm an oligarch or a billionaire of like um the Khan's kind of quality, I'm just spending shitloads of money because if like it makes um actually more sense to spend so much money to the point where they just essentially don't care because it's too much of a hassle than actually spend a little bit over and then you get docked 10 points. It's a uh, it's literally um, rich people don't pay their bills and um, everyone in the middle kind of gets... Um, yeah, but the proof around. is in the pudding. Nottingham Forest spent loads of money hoping that they would be miles clear of the relegation zone and that a 10-point deduction wouldn't affect them. But it's failed because you can't, you, you, you can't just throw money at it. Man City sure. did... And it, it's worked, but they did it before FFP was a thing. And unfortunately, we're now stuck with that. Also, Man City, on top of that, bring in more revenue than any club in the Premier League has ever done before. So you, you kind of, they, they, they can make losses, but they also make huge profits. So, yeah. uh, like, I, I understand I, what I, you're I, saying, I, that it's kind of unfair. But if you're making huge profits, how can you say that's unfair? Well, I think, I think, I think I'm uh, not even I'm not even talking about that. Are you, you guys are talking in, about how to play the FFP game conservatively, wisely, or otherwise. I'm just saying FFP is nonsense, and it's just it's it's, it's just a, a, a way of the for the big clubs all around in every league to keep small clubs at bay and and actually um, block anyone coming in with money and um, competing with them. And, my, my, and when, when's someone going to call that out and tear well, it apart? My, well, my point is you can't um, uh, uh, spend a shitload of money in one season. You just have to keep on spending a shitload of money, a shitload of money, a shitload of money, and just doing that for multiple seasons until it works, which is seemingly a poor business strategy. But actually, if you start getting results at the end of it, it becomes a good business strategy. It's kind of... Uh, well, uh, no, because well, it, it becomes far too okay. late at that point. Clubs okay, here's, lose here's ridiculous a, amounts of money. Like, here's a like it's, it's It's huh? crazy how much money a club can lose when you've got transfer fees, the wages that these clubs have to pay. Forrest were playing for, and, and Chelsea as well, paying for 50, 60 first-team players' contracts. It's mm. it's like outrageous. So you can't. It's not just you keep spend money on buying players. If you're not selling out a state an, an eighty thousand seater stadium every week and selling outrageous numbers of merchandise to fans all around the world, like you you just you're stuck. And, and you can spend as much money as you want, but you're going to lose even more. Can you imagine if um, if every one of the twenty clubs were acquired by infinitely wealthy owners and they all just went fuck it we're breaking the rules and they're all just going to spend stupid amounts of money can you see the fa demoting like taking 30 points off each club and demoting them all never going to happen 
But I think you just described the Super League. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe. Uh, but well, no, I, I think I, I think they they probably would. But the problem is, it it would it would still have the same issue where those clubs at the top are able to spend that money because they're also making that money in profits and they're making mm. enough revenue to cover their their losses effectively. And, and I understand the reason for FFP as well. Like it, it it's meant to protect the owners of the club and the club itself. The, if the club is making hundreds of millions of pounds worth of losses, they'll eventually just get wound up because an owner can then just dump them and go, okay, well, you guys owe, you know, 300 million this year. And who's going to pay it? Because the owner's just tapped out. And um, I understand the reason for it because you see these clubs who drop from the Premier League and then drop down to League Two all of a sudden and get wound up. You look at what's happening with Reading at the moment. They're just being stripped for assets. Um, Mm -hmm. The owner there is basically waiting for the club to fold so that he can build apartments on their training ground. Um, He sold their stadium. Like, this is what happens when... um, uh, owners are, are not properly uh, kept an eye on. And, and you know, I, I think FFP is there to try and protect the clubs at the end of the day to make sure you don't get an owner who comes in, tries to spend all this money, and then leaves the club in a terrible position. I don't agree with it entirely. and I don't think it's perfect, but I, think you've drunk I understand the, the reason. Yeah. Sorry? I think you've drunk the Kool-Aid. I think no, no, I think it's not been at all. very I'm well. Saying, I think it's been well. I'm not sold. saying it's a good thing, but I understand why it's there, and I understand um, it's 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 reason for existence. I, I think you have to ensure that clubs can be sustainable. We don't want to we don't want to see Fulham losing hundreds of millions of pounds every year because as soon as we drop out of the Premier League, we lose that parachute payment, we lose that TV money. We're in a massive hole. And what do we do? We fall down to League Two and, and into disarray and we disappear. This is the I, same way that the City of London and the SEC in America describe the crypto market. Yeah. And then, they say, and, and then they take all the crypto exchanges to court and suddenly now they want in. Yeah. And, so it's a, it's and, a bit, it's and suddenly like BlackRock and suddenly Blackrock has central plays in crypto, Bitcoin, EFTs. Gotta love it. It's, it's yeah. Just, as long as as long as there's a system, there'll be people who can figure out a way to um, fault the system and make it work in their favor. Okay. Even if it's brought in with, Game. yeah, and even if it's done with good intention, FFP's totally done with good intention. But there's just better lawyers out there that can just, yeah. Anyway, what's the next question? <laughs> yeah, let's uh, move on. Uh, the next question, it's kind of semi being answered. This comes from. Um, Danny uh, in the FFCWA chat, who do you think would be a good buy up front for the rest of the season or will Raul be enough? Yeah, as I said before, I'm delighted that Raul is starting to do well. He's not consistently doing well, but he's a a renewed player and, and I'm really happy for him. But I think it's a very, very high risk strategy. Um, to rely on him for maybe maybe not ten goals, but certainly seven or eight. I think I think that's actually asking a lot of the guy, given where he was just four, six, eight weeks ago. And um, 
I think it's tough. Jack's already laid the blueprint out for how we stay in the Premier League. It's just sit and watch Forrest and, and Everton implode. I mean, it's nothing. not the worst strategy. It's, it's a pretty good strategy. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's so hard, isn't it? Because like um I mean I I think I think the best case scenario is you get somebody who isn't necessarily getting as much game time that has been in the Premier League for a while and is just playing second fiddle. Um because I think it's just too it's kind of been proven it's a bit too risky to go to the Brazilian leagues. Um Bundesliga, I think, is a, a good uh option and there's Plenty of strikers there that could potentially use some more game time. Uh, Syria is a little bit hit and miss. And if anything, um, like I'd love to get like a Tammy Abraham, but he's just not coming to Fulham, is he? Um, because all of those guys want to be playing um, Champions Leagues or at least like Europa League football. Um, there's there's so many options available. I like my whole thing is like, how do you convince um, a second tier striker at a middle table premier league squad to come to fulham it's a hard it's a hard it's a hard it's a hard sell i know i know how you do it you beat arsenal one nil in a very very high profile game and you prove that there's shit happening here and you know this is something to be a part of i think that was a great showcase well i i mean i would say i i don't want a player who is a backup for a mid-table side. I, I, I think if we're going to be replacing Raul, who was a backup for a mid-table side, it needs to be with someone better than that. I, I think if if that's the level that we're looking for, people wanting game time and not good enough to actually start for mid-table or even upper mid-table teams, it's it's probably not good enough for me. Um, I think... The only the kind of people that I'd be looking at, and I don't know how realistic it is, but someone like Eddie Nketiah, who is, um, he's a player who is looking for game time and, and could benefit from coming to Fulham. Um, uh, we've also been linked with Broha from Chelsea, but he's starting to get game time. That just depends on if Chelsea bring in another attacking player. Um, but I, I just think we we can't be looking for someone who's sitting on the bench for a mid-table side. Because it's just not enough for what we're looking for. It's it's another risk that they will hopefully find their feet back at Fulham. But realistically, you you probably come up with a Jimenez situation where the guy hasn't scored in twenty games, and we have to work him back to being a player who can score goals for us. And unfortunately, at this point in the season where there's twenty odd games gone, there's just not time to do that. So I think you need to bring in someone who's there waiting to prove a point. Who's who's young and who has a bit of talent, and I, I think Enketia Broha for me are the two that seem like obvious options. Oh, but like, how are you going to get Broha away from like Chelsea? He's well, Chelsea, Chelsea right? are looking to sign a better striker. So, mm, I mean, true. Benzema, yeah. for example, is is touted as potentially joining Chelsea. If Benzema joins, then. Um, yeah. Broha's not getting a look in, let's be perfectly honest. And same with Arsenal. Arsenal have been linked with um, Benzema as well. Uh, there's also a couple of very uh, weird links that uh, Mitro might potentially be coming back to the Premier League on loan. Um, mm. Chelsea have shown some interest in Mitro. Um, so mm. we'll wait and see what happens there. I I'd, I'd hope he doesn't come back to the Premier League because 
the only place he should come back to is Fulham. And if he doesn't come to Fulham, it's a terrible, terrible move. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think we need someone with um, a little bit more experience and a little bit more to prove than a mid-table backup player. I'd be amazed if Marcus Silva was interested in someone who 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 wasn't proven. And that's fair mm. enough because, you know, you, you're making a business decision here, like a really strategic decision. You've got a problem. You need a genuine, guaranteed, highly reliable goal scorer. Why would you get another um, kind of player past his peak um, and, and, and try and rebirth him? You know, I think it's too hard. Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll, just... we'll wait and see what happens. There's, um, what is it, the 18th today, so um, less than two weeks of this window. So moves need to happen fairly soon, otherwise it's going to be a little bit too late, I think. Um, last question before we finish up. This one comes from uh, Sir James P on Twitter. In our opinion, who are our best midfield tandem? So... Uh, in in terms of the tandem, obviously that usually means the back two. But let's actually s- expand that to the central three players. Who would you pick as our best three? The two defensive midfielder positions, or central midfielder positions, and the attacking midfielder. Sammy, I'll throw to you first. At this stage, um, at this stage, it's probably Polina. Canny, and I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna go with um I'm still gonna go with Pereira. I still I still like Andreas. That's probably my favorite system at the moment, just from like what I've seen. Pereira's a little bit hit and miss, but I think overall I still prefer his consistency and what he can give for fifty percent of the game. I still I still appreciate a lot. Dad, yeah, um, de- obviously. Uh, Polinia. Um, I, I would probably go Pereira as well. I like Pereira. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of I'm willing him to get back to some of his form in the early part of or most of last year, actually. I remember watching the highlights reel from the, the whole of last season. Pereira was scintillating. He was so effective yeah. for us. But obviously he had a terrible, terrible injury and he's never quite been back at his best. We have seen bits and pieces of it. Um, I'm I'm always going to want Willian on the left, and as as much as I like, um, I have liked watching Iwobi in the middle. I actually like him out on the right, and so you're completely ignoring the question though. It's it's the central three, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, uh, I'm I'm telling you what. Um, the 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 players I do want to be in place, and that kind of dictates who I'd have in the middle, right? So mm. Polina, Pereira, and I would go Tom Kenny. Uh, I I kind of agree with you. I for me it's Polina, obviously, Tom Kenny next to him, and Iwobi central. Uh, I think <sighs> having Pereira come off the bench, I've really liked. I think you chuck Willian out on the left and I'd I'd see Wilson or BDR out on the right. And it gives us more off the bench, I think, than having Iwobi come off the bench. I like the idea of Pereira and Wilson potentially coming off the bench and making something happen. 
I think we probably need to sign an additional winger to make it really work for us. But um, yeah, Polina, Kenny, and Iwobi for me is that um, central three. Um, I'm with Dad but, though. Don't you prefer him on the right? No. I think he's more effective floating in the middle. He he gets into better positions, and uh, I think he's a good passer. He's got good feet. Um, haven't seen him put in a huge amount of good crosses, so I don't know why I'd waste him out on the right. And I haven't seen him score the kind of goals that Wilson scores from out on the right, uh, and BDR as well scores from out on the right. So I, I just feel like Iwobi Central makes more sense for me. Uh, the thing I like about uh, you're right. I mean, I I like him in the middle, but I do like Iwobi and Pereira on in on the, the ground together. together. Yeah, yeah I, like I, I agree with that. I think that's I think that's fair. I just think it's hard to squeeze them both in. Um, mm. it, it, I, I'd love to see them both play, but I just unless you did something like played Iwobi up front and Pereira behind him, I I can't see how you would squeeze them both into the team. I know yeah, you could I'm, put a Wobie out wide, but I, I just feel like he's wasted out there. He's, he never seems to perform as well from out wide as he does from central. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, a very good question, and I think it's it's interesting how that midfield three is constantly changing. At the start of the season, would never have picked Tom Kearney in there. Um, and it's, it's kind of great to see the fact that we do. Um, Guys, I think we can probably wrap it up there. It's been an hour and 16 minutes. Sammy, it's just clicked over 1 a.m. for you. Very good effort from you. Um, it's worth noting as well that, um, you know, we're very, very quickly approaching our 100th episode. This is our 98th episode. Um, episode 100 will come up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, hopefully it falls in the week when Sam is actually over here in Perth I think you should make the trip. I think you should make the trip to Perth, Sam, just for that. Yeah, why not? I've, or, no, I've got a ticket. I've, you literally got it. Like, I have that. I have that. You, you've um, missed the joke there, Sammy, but it's 1 a.m., um, so fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> guys, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Sammy's fading very fast. Um, Sam, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, that share button's looking at you, that like and comment button's looking at you, that subscribe button's looking at you. Just click it. Just click it. It's staring right at you. I cannot believe we're approaching 100 episodes. That's 100 hours of doing this. That is mental. Um, uh, but long may it rain. You know, we do this for you. And you can, you can repay us by a, a like, share, and subscribe. And as always, thanks for having me. I'm going to pass out so hard. Uh, I like how you reckon that it's 100 hours for 100 episodes. I reckon it's based on the that. length of a lot of these episodes, we're closer to that. 200. Um, <laughs> but no, good job, Sammy. Dad, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, good chat, guys. And uh, Sam, look forward to uh, sitting in the same room as you soon. And uh, uh, yeah, that'd be, that, that'd be exciting. Yeah, we're um, actually organising a, a Fulham WA catch-up for the Burnley game, which should be good, having a few pizzas and a few beers, hopefully, and catching up with the Western Australian crew. So um, looking forward to that. Thank you again for everyone. Sorry again for the long break, but we are back and we'll be podcasting again back to normal very soon. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And until next time, come on, you whites. Come on, you whites.